The gospel for Thanksgiving comes from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 through 19, and it's on page 741 of the Pew Bible. And please stand again as you are able for the reading of the gospel. From Luke 17, beginning at verse 11, we read in Jesus' name. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Father, these are your words. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Dear saints, if Jesus had not died on the cross, there would be no Thanksgiving turkey. There would be no stuffing, no lefsa, no cranberry sauce, no mashed potatoes, and no pie. There would be no TV to watch the Vikings on, and no car to get you over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house. And the ten lepers we read about would not have been cleansed. We would have none of these wonderful things if Jesus had not died on the cross. Now, how do we figure that? What does Jesus' death on the cross have to do with Thanksgiving dinner and all our possessions? Last year, about two days after Thanksgiving, I was listening to a sermon recorded by another pastor at his Thanksgiving service. Since I don't get to listen to a lot of sermons in person, I listen to them online, and it kind of helps to fill that void. Sometimes I learn helpful things, too. Okay, lots of times. So this pastor, he made the point that every good thing God gives to us, including turkey and stuffing and everything else, is only because Jesus died on the cross. At first I thought, well, how do you figure that? But he explained it, and it made sense. And I've thought about it for the past year, knowing that this service would come up again, and I still think this is right. Every good thing God gives to us is because Jesus died on the cross. We generally think of the cross as being the source of spiritual blessings, especially the forgiveness of sins, but physical blessings, even material blessings, turkey, stuffing, and apple pie? Yes, Jesus died so we can eat apple pie. Now, I know that sounds a little bit trivial, right? Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross so I can eat this delicious piece of pie. Now, if that's the only reason we thank Jesus for dying on the cross, we're missing the point. But we would also be missing something if we didn't recognize the cross as the true source of apple pie and every other good thing God gives us. So, how do we figure this? First, 
We recognize and hear from Scripture that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And this, I think, is pretty simple and easy to understand when we remember that God is the creator of all things. If God had not said, let the earth sprout vegetation, there would be no apples. And if he had not said, let the earth bring forth living creatures, there would be no cows to produce cream. And if God had not formed a man from the dust of the ground, there would be no people to churn that cream into butter or slice up the apples or mix it with all the other ingredients and bake it in the oven. Everything that goes into the pie can be traced back to God's act of creation. And beyond this, God has continued to preserve all these things right up to the present day. So we can, we can really trace the origin of every material thing back to the creation of the cosmos. So first, we recognize that every good thing comes from God. He gives us these things as an act of grace. But we also recognize that God is gracious to us only on account of Jesus' death on the cross. Let's stay in Genesis for a moment. When God placed Adam in the garden, he gave him one prohibition. You remember what it was? You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, both Adam and his wife, they knew this commandment. They knew that if they ate the fruit, they would die. Now, I don't know if they completely understood what death meant, because up until then, nothing had ever died before. But they knew the consequence. So they knew what would happen, but they ate anyway. Now, the thing that might puzzle us about that is that Adam and Eve didn't drop dead that very day. Adam, at least, lived for another 930 years. But God clearly said, in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So what gives? Did God change his mind? Was he just giving them an extreme consequence that he never actually intended on following through with? God almost sounds like that dad in a minivan saying, don't make me turn this car around. Everyone knows that minivan isn't going to turn around until after Thanksgiving dinner at grandma's house. But dad really wants the kids to behave, so he makes an empty threat. He's got to try something, right? But God doesn't make empty threats. And we shouldn't even think of death as uh, God's threat for sin. We should understand it to be a natural consequence or a just punishment. But it's not a threat, and it's certainly not an empty threat. So there are a couple things to understand about God's commandment and what did or did not happen to Adam and Eve. <clears throat> First, we should understand death not merely to be an event, but a process. Adam and Eve most certainly did begin the process of dying that day. God was right. They were barred from the tree of life, so their bodies began to decay, this process of death. And the same thing is happening to each of us, even on a, a microscopic level. When we think about cells, every living cell is dying. Even when we are young and our cells are growing and multiplying, we're still dying at the same time. Every living cell has an expiration date to it. Every cell and every living thing is always in the process of dying. 
Death for us is a process that begins at conception. We try all sorts of things to stop it or to slow it down, but we learn that it really cannot be stopped. The entire creation was subjected to death. So every pain and every sort of suffering, whether it's physical or mental or emotional or whatever it might be, every sort of suffering is a symptom of death. We are dying all the time. So the first thing to understand about God's commandment and the fate of Adam and Eve is that death is not a singular event, but a process. And the second thing to understand uh, is that God is gracious and merciful. Now let's think about those words and define those two words, mercy and grace. Mercy is God not giving to us what we do deserve, that is, sudden death, And grace is God giving us what we don't deserve, forgiveness, life, and salvation. So when we don't immediately receive the punishment we deserve, that's called mercy. And when God gives us good things instead, that's called grace. Adam and Eve may have deserved to drop dead that very day, but God is merciful. And God graciously allowed them to still enjoy the pleasures of creation while this process of death was doing its work. And the same thing happens to us. God mercifully allows us to live, and he graciously gives us gifts, both in this life and in eternity. But the question is, why? Why doesn't God give us the punishment we deserve? And why does he instead give us the gifts that we don't deserve? The answer to this question is, and always has been, Jesus. It is only on account of Jesus' sacrifice for us that we are permitted to breathe even one breath of air. From the moment we are conceived, we are utterly corrupt. We are in bondage to sin. Born after the image of Adam, who had fallen into rebellion against God, we seek and desire the things that satisfy our own selves, with no regard for the will of the Creator. And this is the essence of sin. And we have this nature from the very moment we are conceived. It's simply who we are. And so for this reason... We deserve to be conceived straight into the torment of hell. And God, he would be just to do so. But he doesn't. And this is mercy. Now I realize that might sound a little bit extreme, that we deserve to be conceived straight into the torment of hell. This isn't a conclusion we come by naturally, is it? And part of the reason for this is that we just don't experience that. We are permitted to live and This is obviously very good. But the downside is we wrongly assume that we must deserve, then, to live. And furthermore, we have a skewed perception of good. We judge humanity, and we judge ourselves on a curve. Our go-to standard for morality is not God's perfect will, but other corrupt individuals. But this doesn't yield an accurate result. When corrupt people are compared to other corrupt people, about 50% of us come out as above average, even though we're still corrupt. The only way to get an accurate result is from a standard that comes to us from outside of us. And this is what God's law does. It comes to us from God, and it reveals all of us to be sinful. 
and deserving of death. If we have broken one part of God's law, we have broken all of it. Now, we tend to think that as long as we do more good things than bad things, then we must be good people, as long as the good outweighs the bad. But when you think about it, this is nonsense. God rightly expects his creatures to work the way they are supposed to. Now, suppose you have a car where 51% of the components work the way they are supposed to. That's better than half, but that would be a really terrible car, right? If your fuel pump and maybe three out of six spark plugs work, uh, it won't perform very well. And if your radiator works, but half the coolant hoses have holes in them, you're going to have a serious problem really quick. Now imagine this is the case with all the systems in your car. 49% of all the parts are broken. The only thing to do with a car like that is take it to the junkyard. Even if 99% of the parts on your car work, that 1% would drive you crazy and probably not anywhere else either. It really only takes one broken part to make the entire car useless. So a good car is one in which everything works the way it is supposed to. And the same thing is true for human beings. The only problem is there aren't actually any human beings who do that. So we all deserve a free tow to the junkyard. Now, if we did have perfect human beings living and walking around among us, this would be manifestly obvious to all of us. But we don't recognize this. And we have a hard time accepting it, simply because we don't have any of those perfect human beings walking around among us. We can't compare ourselves to them. So then we kind of scoff at the idea that we all deserved to be conceived straight into hell. But this is biblical. Scripture is clear that we are conceived in sin. And Scripture teaches that the wages of sin is death. From the very moment we are conceived, we are already in a sinful state that is deserving of death. But this is not what happens to us, is it? And the only reason this doesn't happen to us is Jesus. God is merciful and gracious to us, but God is also just. He still punishes every sin. So his mercy and grace don't simply appear out of thin air. It isn't for no reason. God's mercy and grace are always on account of Jesus Christ and his blood on the cross. If we ever receive anything good from God, it is always because Jesus died on the cross. In the gospel lesson we read tonight, one out of ten uh, cleansed lepers returns to give Jesus thanks. He returned because he understood who Jesus is, God in human flesh, and he realized his cleansing was a gift from God. It wasn't something he deserved. When we go through times of suffering, we sometimes consider God to be unjust. We think him to be unfair to allow us to suffer. So then if he relieves us of our suffering, it's not like he's given us a great gift. He's simply given us what we deserved all along. So when this happens, we might say thank you out of habit or politeness, but there isn't really a whole lot of gratitude behind it. But if we understand that we all deserve much worse than what we experience, then any removal of suffering is a gift of God's mercy 
And every good thing is a gift of God's grace. So when this cleansed leper realizes that Jesus is God in human flesh and that he has been cleansed from his leprosy, he doesn't come back to argue with Jesus about why he let him suffer in the first place. He comes back, falls on his face at Jesus' feet, and gives him thanks. He recognizes it as an act of mercy on Jesus' part. And this act of mercy was an act of mercy because of where Jesus was going. You look at the opening words of the gospel lesson, on the way to Jerusalem. Earlier in the gospel of Luke, Jesus had set his face to Jerusalem, and he had set his face there for one specific purpose. He was going there to die. I mean, that's what this was all about. He was going there to bear the sins of the world. It was because Jesus was going to Jerusalem to bear the sins of this Samaritan leper that he gave him a a little sample of the greater healing that he would experience on the resurrection of the dead on the last day. The Samaritan leper was spared his suffering because Jesus, Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem to bear his suffering. And the same thing is true for Adam and Eve, and the same thing is true for you and me, and for everyone else in between. We are spared the suffering we deserve, and we are given gifts that we do not deserve, all because Jesus bore our sins, and he suffered the wrath of God in our place. So Jesus, he received what we deserved, and we receive what Jesus deserves. So when we sit down to give thanks to God, wherever that is and whoever we're with, give thanks for the blood of Jesus, which is the true source of turkey, stuffing, and apple pie. And if you're going to give thanks for these smaller things, then give thanks for the bigger things too, for the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body to eternal life and everlasting salvation. God is merciful. And God is gracious, all of it on account of Jesus Christ. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.